My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. So Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they're talking about whatever Adam and Eve talked about in the garden. And Adam says, you know, Eve, we have forbidden fruit. She goes, we have forbidden fruit? He goes, yeah, God told me all about it. We're not allowed to eat it. She goes, do you know where it is? He goes, well, yeah, God showed me where it is. Can you show me, Eve says? Well, sure, Adam says. He says, but we're still not eating it. Fine, she says, but I've never seen forbidden fruit before. So off they go to the tree, and Eve looks, and she says, that looks really good. And Adam says, it does, but we're not supposed to eat it. And Eve says, who's going to know? And you know what happens. She plucks an apple. He plucks an apple. Now, the rabbis actually believed back in Jesus' time that it was a pear. I don't really care what fruit it is, but here they are having a little apple picnic, and you know who comes along. God. And God goes, didn't I tell you not to eat off that tree? And Adam says, well, Eve wanted to see it, and they toss it back and forth, and God just holds his head, and he says, you're going to have to leave the garden, and I'm going to curse you for the rest of eternity with children of your own. (laughs) Why is that? Because children have their own way of looking at things, and the truth is, We look at it the same way, but we're often uh, too grown up to say it. Reminds me of a a family circus cartoon. You remember those in the Sunday paper? And there's uh, two boys, Jeff and Billy, and they're squabbling over the size of the piece of pie their mom is cutting for them. Well, they're not the same, Jeff pouts. Mom tries again, evening the slices. Still, Jeff is upset. He says, they're not the same. Mom this time gets out a ruler, and she absolutely proves to both of them that both pieces of pie are exactly the same size. But Mom, Jeff complains, I want mine to be just like Billy's, only bigger. Boy, my jokes are just not working this morning at all, right? But have you ever thought about that? We compare ourselves to the other people around us. Who's got the nicest car? Who's got the nicest house? Who's got the most successful kids? What college did you go to? What sports team do you cheer for? What's your job? What's this? What's that? Who's the tallest? Who's the prettiest? Who's the skinniest? Who goes to the gym the most often? We are always looking for ways to measure ourselves against the people around us. And yet in the kingdom of God, we are all exactly the same. I want you to think about that. In the kingdom of God, we're all exactly the same because in my Bible it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It reminds me of a true story. I was teaching eighth grade general music in Trenton in 1981. There you go. Need I say any more? And there were no smart boards and computers in the classroom back then. I did all the music on a record player and my boom box. And I turned around to write something on the board. And when I turned back around, my room looked like London during the Blitz. There were just paper airplanes all flying from right, left, front, and back all over the room. I realized that there was no way to tell who threw which airplane. And I said these words, 
You all have detention. But I didn't throw a plane, one says, and the other one has tears, and I made mine, but I didn't. You've, you've seen this picture, right? That's how the workers in the parable approach the kingdom of God. Except um, when I work with Christian Endeavor, they always talk about the omnis. And it took me a little while. What are the omnis, I finally said? Well, God is omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, and he's all-present. He's everywhere. So you may not have thrown a paper airplane this time, but you've done something that you shouldn't have done another time. I want you to think about this because even in the church, we point at the people who are committing what I like to call the sin of the week. Like in the 80s and the 90s, divorce was the sin of the week. And we just looked down our noses at the people who got divorced. Today, it might be something else. It could be alcoholism, smoking, trans, you're with me. There's always a sin of the week. And as long as there's somebody that we can point at, then we feel higher on this, the scale of spirituality than the person who's committing the sin of the week. The problem is our omni-God, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, knows what we do in secret. There's a wonderful scripture in Matthew that uh, Jesus uses to remind us to give in secret. However, here I go again, skipping my notes. However, I want you to hear this in the tenor of the parable we read today. Then you, then your father, Jesus says, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, the idea of the parable Jesus is telling that is if you are tithing and giving and helping, God sees that in secret. You don't need to wave a big flag that says, what a good person I am. God will reward you in secret. But what if it also meant God sees what you do in secret and he will reward you, you hear the turn of the phrase there? Sometimes God sees us doing things uh, like the big dog in the cartoon used to say, we shouldn't ought to be doing. Now, I have a fairness bone. I've always said, and you don't know me well enough, but I've always said I wish there were fairness police. You could blow a whistle and throw a flag and somebody would come in and fix it because it's not fair. And they must have been reading my mind because if you've seen the new, I think it's, Progressive insurance commercials. Something will happen, and the one person will go, that's not the way it happened, and they throw the red challenge flag, and then a person from the insurance company comes in with the box, and they can see and hear what happened. Have you seen these commercials? Oh, you got to look out for them. There's a really cute one now where two ladies are at the school stop. There are little girls there. And the one lady says, we should get together and watch the game. And the other lady goes, that'd be wonderful. And the daughter goes, well, mom, you said you didn't like to go over there for the game because they talk too much. And the mom says, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. And the child just keeps going and going. The mom keeps denying. The one who invited is getting visibly upset. And the little girl pulls out a red challenge flag and she throws it. And out comes the TV and they find out that the mom really said it. There's no fairness police. And why aren't there any fairness police? Because all of us don't want somebody to throw a flag at a certain part of our life. 
Now, you may say, well, Doc, is that true for everybody? Not is it true for everybody. Not only is it true for everybody, it's true for monkeys. This is what pastors do in their spare time. We find obscure stories to make our point. Here we go. At the University of Atlanta, researchers were testing capuchin monkeys. Those are the cute little ones. And they gave them the task of picking up a small granite stone and bring it to the researcher, and they had one minute to do it. Now, it's amazing to me that they taught the monkeys how to tell time. But anyway, they had one minute to do it. And if they were successful, they got a slice of cucumber. It seems as though monkeys are crazy for cucumber. Well, the scheme worked well. It was a happy lab situation, and each monkey received the same wage. This turned sour when the researchers varied the pattern. They tried giving one monkey grapes for its reward, and the others continued to receive cucumbers. Indignation broke out. First, the others withheld their labor. They refused to go pick up the pebble. And later, they even took to throwing away the cucumber and the stone. It had offended the monkey's sense of justice. That's almost human, isn't it? We are happy with our lot until we see someone else in a similar situation, who's better off. And then we cry foul. We throw the red flag. See, in our perspective, we shout, that's not fair. And God's perspective, he says, it's not about you. It's about my generosity. Now, one of my favorite phrases in teaching and preaching is, you can't earn, learn, buy, or try your way into heaven. I think that might be the first time I've used it here, but let me say it again. You can't earn, learn, buy, or try your way into heaven. Sure it does. You get to heaven by learning about God, trying to be good. Well, I have good news for you. If you wait till the end of the sermon, you'll know the answer. That's okay. So this parable, believe it or not, is not for the unbeliever. It's for the believer. We can't earn. There's nothing we can do to earn our way into the kingdom. There's nothing we can do to learn our way into the kingdom. There's nothing we can do to buy. It doesn't matter how much we put in the plate, although we do wish that you would continue to put things in the plate. We'd like to keep the lights on and the heat for the winter. And you cannot... Try your way. It's not the things you do. Jesus is the only way that we can find our way into the kingdom. Now, do you know what a denarius is? I I went looking in my children's sermon box. I thought I had one, and I didn't. But a denarius was a single coin, and in Jesus' time, it was enough to take care of your family for one day. And... Very much like if you drive to Home Depot early in the morning, there's usually a a group of workers waiting for a truck to come up and say, I need three guys, I need five guys, whatever. If they worked for the whole day and they got a denarius, then they knew that their rent was paid and they had enough to feed their family. So these men who were waiting until the 11th hour were still hoping to take something home to their family. (laughs) They didn't have savings accounts or debit cards or anything that we do to store their resources, it was pretty much, you know, we say paycheck to paycheck. It was denarius to denarius. Now, I know about you, 
but I feel more in common with the 12-hour laborers than the one-hour laborers. And we don't often talk in the hours of the watch like they did in Jesus' time, but the owner of the vineyard went out at 6 a.m. That's the first group, and they worked 12 hours until 6 p.m. That's for those of you that have been working in the church, gave your heart to Christ at a very young age. You make hoagies, cook cover dishes, work on the bulletins. I mean, take care of the church, preach the gospel, missions trips, all of the above. Then you've got the nine. Maybe they're the people who gave their heart to Jesus in middle school. And then you've got the six young adults. Then you've got the three people like my dad who didn't really go to church until he had two children, and he figured if they had to go, he had to go. Gave his heart to Christ when he was about 40. And then you've got those last-minute laborers. The, 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 the criminal on the cross, Jesus said, this night will you be in paradise. And you think, well, that's not fair. I've been working 12 hours, and they only get in for the one. Again, we're looking at it from our perspective Can you imagine the shock and the numb on the faces of the one-hour laborers when they got the same pay as the 12-hour laborers? Maybe we need to look at it from a different perspective. How did they feel knowing that perhaps, how could I put this, they didn't do the work that earned the blessing, and yet they still got the blessing? So let's look at this from God's perspective. Our immense, inevitable, unfailable, and omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God doesn't just see our right now. In Romans 3.11, Paul writes, no one is righteous, no, not one. And in Romans 3.23, he writes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Matthew 6.4, the one we read earlier, it says, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Remember the Bette Miller song, Our God is Watching Us? God is watching. No, some remember, some don't. Anyway, but the, the point was he was watching us from a distance. And I believe the album cover, or at least the video, had a picture of the world from space. <laughs> My God doesn't live in outer space. My God is sitting next to me on the subway or at the opera, or in church. My God is up close and personal. And when he sees the things that I do in secret that he wants to reward, he gives a little, yay! And when he sees the things that I do in secret that I perhaps shouldn't do, he puts in his, his head in his hands, and he worries for me. He worries for me so much that he sent his son to die on my behalf. Let me finish with this story. It comes from a pastor, King Duncan. I read him a, a lot. A man dies and go to heaven. And if you haven't figured out yet, I love heaven jokes. Man dies and he goes to heaven. Of course, St. Peter meets him at the gate. And St. Peter says, here's how it works. You got to get 100 points to get in. He says, uh, I'll give you points for each item of your life. And we'll add them up and we'll see how you do. And the man says, well, I was married to the same woman for 50 years, never cheated, and I loved her with all my heart. And St. Peter says, okay, 
Three points. Three points, he says. Well, I attended church all my life, supported the ministry with my tithe and service. Terrific, St. Peter says. That's certainly worth a point. One point? Well, I, I started a soup kitchen in my city, and I worked in a shelter for homeless veterans. Fantastic, St. Peter says. Well done. Two points. The man throws his hands up in exasperation and cries, at this rate, the only way to get into heaven is by the grace of God. Peter says, that's your 100 points. Come on in. <sighs> that's the gift. That's the twist. That's the gospel. That's the truth for every believer. Jesus did the work. Our 100 points is paid. And we are released from detention. Here's the final caveat, however. Believers are all in need of 100 points. And none of us can earn, learn, try, or buy 100 points. You might get a 90 or even an 89. And those of us who have accumulated those points sometimes look down at those who have less points. Now, I don't know what your church looked like in the 60s, but my church had the Sunday school attendance pins. Now, First Collingswood Methodist, which was the next closest church, also had them, and sometimes we shared musicians, and I was one of the musicians that got shared. And I was a little jealous, because our Sunday school attendance pin was a circle, and then the number of years popped out, and you put the new one in. So everybody had the same circle, and then you had to like really squint to see how many numbers. They had the one that looked like a banner, and then they went down. So if you had one, it was here. If you had five, it was here. If you had 10, it was here. And then if it got really long, they would just take the highest number and put it at the top. But I wanted one of those badges that told everybody that I had been in Sunday school every year of my life since I was born. Why? Because I wanted people to know that I had been here longer than them. Even at an early age, I was thinking like a 12-hour laborer and not like a one-hour laborer. The owner of the vineyard, the teacher of the class, has set the price. Jesus paid the price. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God... Heaven is ours. Amen.